Hello and welcome to episode four of This Won't Teach You Anything. Today on the show we have, on the film reel, Silver Linings Playbook starring Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. And on Sound You Can Feel, we have Rip This Joint by the Rolling Stones. Before we get to the segments of the show, I think we can all agree that 2020 has just been one hell of a year so far, to put it mildly, and not in a good way. If it hadn't been for the pandemic and a, uh, a slowdown at work, I would have never gotten involved with podcasting. And I don't know, maybe to some of you listening, or that would have been a better thing than me actually continuing to do the podcast. I'm not sure. But again, I did want to take the time to acknowledge the fact that I do appreciate each and every one of you that do listen, because this is my first foray. It is amateur as hell. I'm learning as I'm going, and you're probably finding that out. So being that 2020 has been an absolute garbage dumpster fire of a year, it's also given me the chance to spend time doing things that I enjoy, spending time with my family. I don't think I've spent more time with them over the last uh, seven, eight months as I have during this year. Um, Watching more movies, listening to music, just putting on the headphones, closing my eyes and being able to just listen to music. I also want to know, what do you guys like doing? What are some of your movies? What are some of your music choices? What are some of the things? Do you like working out? Do you like going on walks? What do you guys like to do? You can get a hold of me on Twitter at this won't teach, Instagram, this underscore won't underscore teach underscore you underscore anything, email this won't teach at gmail.com, Facebook at this won't teach. So again, hit me up on one of those. Let me know what you guys like doing. Who knows? Maybe there's a movie I haven't seen that we can discuss. Maybe I'll even have you on air and we can talk about it. And it doesn't have to be just movies, music, or things you collect. As always on this show, those are both welcome topics. So get a hold of me and let me know if there's something you want to talk about. As I mentioned, this year I've had more time than usual to go ahead and get into different things, podcasting being one of them. I work in the trade show slash exhibits industry, and if there's an industry that has been decimated by the pandemic, it's this industry. Basically, trade shows are non-existent in the U.S. at this point. Live events, again, non-existent. Along with concerts, not something my company gets involved with, but so many people enjoy going to these things, and the norm for now is none of it. So we've been cut off from communicating with loved ones and friends. It's starting to come back a little bit now, but you still see such divided opinions on how and when things will be back. So this is how I've decided to help pass the time is podcasting. And if you hear this and you've decided to help pass the time by listening to podcasts. But enough about 2020. Let's get into one of my favorite movies. I know I say that a lot, but this truly is one of my favorite movies. Silver Linings Playbook.
Silver Linings Playbook, released 2012. Another of my all-time favorites. This film was based off the book, The Silver Linings Playbook, by Matthew Quick. It was written and directed for screen by David O. Russell, who has also directed American Hustle, Three Kings, and Joy. It stars Bradley Cooper as Pat Solitano Jr., Jennifer Lawrence as Tiffany Maxwell, Robert De Niro as Pat's father, Pat Sr., and Jackie Weaver as Pat's mother, Dolores. This will be your first of two spoiler alerts. If you want to know absolutely nothing about the film, then go ahead and skip to 30 minutes and 55 seconds. There will also be a second spoiler alert. This will allow you to go ahead and get introduced to the characters and the setup of the movie without giving away too much of the plot. The film starts out in a Baltimore psychiatric facility. Pat is reading from a letter he has written to someone he obviously loves. The camera pans around, and we notice the walls are not that much different from a hospital look. There are a few handwritten pieces of paper taped to the walls. The camera focuses on one that says, Excelsior. Excelsior is a word that later we'll learn that Pat uses as a way to channel negativity and turn it into something positive. Pat is brought from his room to a nurse's station where he's dispensed his daily medication. He takes the pill, lifts up his tongue, and shows the nurse that he's taken the medication. As he's walking away, he spits the medication out. During an outside workout, Pat looks up to see his mother. She is there to pick him up. Pat's mother talks to the doctor, and he advises against it, saying that Pat's not ready and that they could be on the hook for a lot of liability should something go wrong. It's then that we learn that Pat is in the psychiatric facility due to court order. Pat Sr. is surprised to see his son, as his wife Dolores did not mention the fact that she was going up to Baltimore to pick up Pat and bring him home. Pat Sr. is concerned that he's home. He wants to make sure that the doctors and the courts have signed off on Pat's release. His wife confirms that the court said it was fine, but kind of skirts around the issue that the doctors did or did not agree with the release. Pat Jr. goes ahead and confirms that, hey, the court said it's fine. That was the agreement that we made in the plea bargain. Some of the conditions of Pat's release are that he goes to therapy and follows a medication regimen, which he refuses to do, to deal with his bipolar diagnosis that came to a head when he found out his wife, Nikki, was having an affair with a fellow teacher. When Pat found out, he beat him nearly to death, and that was the incident that sent Pat to this long-term psychiatric facility. We find out many times during the film that Pat's driving force in getting back to what he considers normal is reconciling with his ex, and in his mind, there is no thought given to this not happening. He thinks he can do without the medication by working out and doing physical exercises, which, as we'll find out, is not a good idea. One of Pat's physical exercises he likes to do is go for a jog in the mornings. During one of his weekend runs, he goes by the school where his wife Nikki may or may not work, and just happens to come across the principal, 
who, as we learn at one point, had a run-in with Pat that wasn't pleasant, and his appearance frightens her. Pat tries to reassure her that everything's okay. He asks if Nikki still works at the school. The principal replies, you know I can't tell you that. We learn that Pat is a teacher as well and offers to go ahead and do anything, substitute or anything, to go ahead and get hired back at the school. It's obvious that the principal doesn't want anything to do with this and just wants him to leave. So she agrees and says, yes, everything will be fine. It'll be all good. Pat then tells her, I'm going to take that as a silver development. That's a silver lining right there, Pat says. And he leaves, arms raised in victory. Pat continues on his run and reconnects with his best friend, Ronnie. Ronnie and his wife, Veronica, were friends with Pat and Nikki when they were together. Ronnie is glad to see him and tells him Veronica wants to invite him to dinner. Pat is sure Veronica hates him for what happened, but accepts the invite. After his workout, Pat returns home. He talks to his parents and tries to pick up the phone to call Nikki. This leads to a confrontation and argument with his father. The argument ends when the police show up, and we learn that Pat has a restraining order against him. The police tell him that he needs to not go near the school or his old house and to respect the restraining order. Cut to Pat heading to dinner at Ronnie and Veronica's house. Pat wears a Philadelphia Eagles jersey, which Veronica hates, and they almost backs out before he even gets in the door. Ronnie talks him down and mentions that Veronica's sister Tiffany would be joining as well. Tiffany and Tommy, replies Pat, while recalling her husband as well. Ronnie explains... Just Tiffany. Tommy died. Pat asks, how did he die? Just then, Tiffany enters the room to hear the tail end of the conversation and asks, how'd who die? At dinner, Pat and Tiffany are comparing medications they've been on, as she has been dealing with depression since before her husband died. Tiffany and Veronica have an argument that results in her asking Pat to walk her home. He tells her that she has poor social skills and she has a problem. She fires back with, you say more inappropriate things than appropriate things. After that brief exchange, Pat does walk her home. At the end of the walk, they arrive at Tiffany's place, which is a guest house behind her parents' house, which is actually a remodeled garage. She tells Pat that she can tell that he's into her, and offers to sleep with him very matter-of-factly. He tells her that she's pretty and he's had a good time, but he's married. She responds, so am I. Pat, with no filter, points out that it's not the same since her husband is dead. Tiffany hugs him and starts crying. She lets him go and slaps him before marching off to her house. Pat returns home and has an uncontrollable urge to watch his wedding video. He becomes manic, pulling things out of closets and throwing things around yelling about not being able to find the tape. The neighborhood starts waking up as it's after midnight. Pat's mother grabs him from behind and tries to calm him down. She's accidentally hit with Pat's elbow in his frantic search for the videotape. When his father sees this, he starts slapping Pat and they get into a fight. The police show up again and let Pat know that they have to report it and it will show up on the restraining order to Nikki. The next morning, things have calmed down and we see Pat take his meds for the first time. Pat goes for a run and passes Tiffany's house. She intercepts him while running herself. Pat gets annoyed at her following him, and they both say mean things to each other. I won't quote the things they say, 
as it happens to be one of my favorite moments from the film, and I can't do it justice in words only. The gist of it is Tiffany telling Pat that she likes all parts of herself and she can forgive herself and asks if he can do the same. This is your second spoiler alert. By now, you're either interested or not interested in Silver Linings Playbook. If you are, and don't want to have the rest of the movie spoiled, please skip to 30 minutes and 55 seconds. If you've watched the film already, or want to hear more, then go ahead and continue on. But be warned, we may get into some of the spoilers to the plot and the end of the film. You'll find in listening to my podcast that one of the things that really resonates with me about what I would consider favorite films is heart. You know, how does it affect me? What does it do? Again, I talked about it in a prior episode where it can affect you different ways. You can go ahead and and cheer for an action movie. You can go ahead and really be touched by something in a drama or a, a romance movie. You can laugh. Uh, you, you can cry. All of this stuff, that's what resonates with me, is making me feel something. Anger, hatred, love, emotion of some kind. Silver Linings does that for me in many different ways. It is an emotional film, but it's also got its moments of comedy. It's got its moments of uh, sobering reality as well, dealing with the heavy topic of mental illness. Getting back to the film, Pat goes to therapy and he thinks in his mind that Tiffany is basically a slut for offering to go ahead and sleep with him. And his therapist tells him that the reason she may be doing that is because she wants to be friends with him. And that's the only way she knows how to possibly get him to be a friend. His therapist also suggests trying to befriend Tiffany and do something nice for her that doesn't involve anything sexual. Pat's thinking is he can go ahead and build off of this into his own relationship and do things nice for his wife and acknowledge things that he never did before that he sees as holding back his relationship's repair. Pat goes and invites Tiffany out for dinner. She accepts. They end up going to a diner. Pat wants to make sure that she understands it's not a date. And they make small talk. Pat asks about this dance thing that Veronica had mentioned the other night at dinner that Tiffany is doing. Tiffany asks Pat about his restraining order and outbursts that have caused the cops to show up. Pat explains how he wishes he could just get a letter to Nikki to explain to her how he really is doing better, and none of those explosive episodes are indicative as to who he is now. Tiffany tells him she thinks she can get a letter to Nikki, as her and Veronica still hang out. The wheels in Pat's head start turning, and he tells her it would be so amazing if she actually could get this letter to Nikki. She explains that she'd have to go ahead and be careful because it would definitely be illegal, and her sister Veronica's not into that. She also explains that she's already on thin ice with her family and that Pat should hear how she lost her job. So, of course, Pat asks her how she lost her job. She tells him how she was really depressed after her husband died and ended up sleeping with everybody in the office that she works, around 11 people. And people started getting in fights in the parking lot. Her boss called her into the office, and she accused her boss of harassment, and it was a big mess. Pat starts asking her some things and judges her and they have a big fight and Tiffany storms out. Pat follows her down the street and tries to explain himself and apologize. They end up in front of a crowded movie theater and Pat, still talking to her, pushes her too far and she starts screaming that he's harassing her. 
So now people are getting in between them and telling him to back off and people call the cops and the cops show up and Pat is told by the cops that he needs to knock it off and they're tired of dealing with him. Basically he starts flipping out and hearing this song in his head. That was his wedding song, a song that was played when he caught his wife having an affair and it drives him crazy when he hears it and he just loses control. When he gets really stressed out, he starts hearing that song. Tiffany sees that he's really struggling and the walls are closing in on him right now with the crowd and the cops. So she goes in there and basically rescues him and tells the police that it wasn't him. It was the kids. It was their fault and he didn't do anything wrong. She takes Pat aside and calms him down and tells him that there's no song. There's no song and to not let that song become a monster for him. After that, Pat follows her home and apologized to her, and she agrees to give the letter to Nikki. The next day, Pat goes to give the letter to Tiffany. He goes to her house. She's not at her residence behind her parents' house, so he knocks on her parents' door. They answer and ask if he's one of the creeps that shows up to basically just kind of mess with her and take advantage of her. He explains who he is and that they go running. While he's there, another guy shows up and asks for Tiffany. Pat talks this guy off the porch, basically tells him that she's injured and she doesn't need people like this doing stuff like that to her. And the guy, as he's walking him off the porch, tells him that she just texted me five minutes ago. And we cut to a scene where Tiffany's actually in the house behind a wall and can hear everything that's going on. So Pat leaves and he's headed back towards his house. Tiffany runs by and Pat stops her. And they discuss everything, and Tiffany tells him that she can't give the letter to Nikki because she never gets anything out of anything. She's helping people, but she never gets anything. So Pat asks her what he can do for her, and she tells him about the dance thing in detail, that she needs a partner to be able to compete and that she'd like him to go ahead and be that partner. Pat wants nothing to do with a dance. So basically she says, no dance, no letter, and walks off. Pat eventually agrees to do the dance thing and makes commitments to spend Sunday afternoons with her to go ahead and get things done. This is a problem because Pat's father also wants him to spend time with him because he's very superstitious when it comes to Eagles games, which he's a big fan of. His dad has been, had been kicked out of the old vet stadium in Philadelphia for getting in fights with fans over the years. And so he's got a hot temper probably where Pat gets his hot temper as well. So Pat is torn between spending time with his father and spending time with Tiffany on the commitment he made. But it's not just that. His dad really feels that he let him down and didn't spend enough time with him when he was younger and spent more time with his older brother. And he's really trying to make up for it now. So you have the part of the story where Pat now has this dance thing that he's going to be doing with Tiffany in order to show himself as a better type of person to Nikki that he's grown that he's changed he's a different person and we also have Pat spending time and trying to repair a relationship with his father that was in some degree broken over the years Pat senior ends up making big bets and losing a big bet on an Eagles game that Pat and his brother were supposed to go to for good luck they ended up getting in a fight in the parking lot tailgating and sent home by the police. Their dad, 
Pat Sr. goes ahead and just lays into him because he'd lost all the money he was going to build the restaurant with. Not only that, but was supposed to split his time with his dad and Tiffany. However, he had made the agreement with Tiffany, and so she waited all day and he never showed up. So she heads over to his parents' house. She's given Pat's letter to Nikki in the prior weeks, and Nikki wrote back, The letter wasn't necessarily bad news, but it wasn't what Pat had hoped for, but it was still hopeful. When Tiffany showed up at his parents' house, after Pat not spending time there, she had a discussion in front of everybody with his father because his father said that she was the reason that the Eagles' good luck slash juju was wrecked, that it was when he started spending time with her. And she stopped him right there and went through the dates that they spent time together working on the dance, when they went to dinner, and how every time that they did, a Philadelphia team had won, whether it be the Phillies in baseball or the Eagles. So now her dad, his dad is kind of turned around on Tiffany. Pat Sr.'s friend Randy, who he lost the big bet to, says he feels terrible about it. Tiffany says no he doesn't, that he's just twisting the knife. Randy asks how can he prove it. Tiffany suggests giving them a chance to win their money back. They end up agreeing on a bet called a parlay, which basically means two bets have to be won for the whole thing to be won. They bet straight up that the Cowboys beat the Eagles and that Pat and Tiffany can score a five in their dance competition. Pat says he won't be a part of the bet and that he's not doing the dance. Tiffany tries to stop him as he starts walking out the door. So does his dad. Tiffany tells him that he's not being a stand-up guy and that if it's her reading the signs, a phrase she's used many times throughout the movie, Pat says, oh, if it's you reading the signs, you reading the signs, and then walks out the door. As he walks out, he looks around and grabs a note from Nikki and reads it again and sees the phrase, if it's me reading the signs, turns back at the house and narrows his gaze. At this time, inside the house, Pat's family and Tiffany are having a discussion. It's made apparent that they've all been working behind the scenes to try and help Pat. And they decide to get Pat to do the dance, which they've found has been good for him and therapeutic, that they have to lie to him and tell him that Nikki's going to be at the dance. Fast forward to December 28th, the day of the Cowboys game versus the Eagles, and the dance at the Benjamin Franklin Hotel. Tiffany's helping Pat get ready, and he makes mention of the fact that he's excited that Nikki's going to be at the dance. Tiffany's face drops as she realizes he's about to find out that she's lying. Everyone heads to the hotel for the Eagles versus the Cowboys and the dance competition. Pat and Tiffany go to sign in. As they head up, Tiffany tells Pat, go ahead and sign in, I have to find Veronica. Tiffany starts glancing around below and sees Ronnie, Veronica, and Nikki walk in. Tiffany confronts Veronica and Ronnie asking, what are they doing? Why, why did they bring her? And Ronnie tells her that they have to give Pat a chance. It's what he wanted, that, they, that he doesn't want to just throw away his marriage. And she says, no, he didn't say that. And Ronnie tells her, yeah, he said it several times. Of course, this was earlier. Tiffany melts down and heads to the bar and orders a large vodka. Pat goes to look for her and asks his mom if she's seen her. She hasn't, so Pat starts looking and notices her over at the bar. 
By this time, a lawyer has noticed her and offers to buy her a second vodka. She accepts and starts drinking that. Pat comes up and asks what she's doing. Tiffany tells Pat that she used to think he was the best thing that ever happened to her, and now she thinks he might be the worst. Pat looks at her and tells her, That's great. We've got to dance. At this point, the Eagles have just beat the Cowboys, and they're announcing Tiffany and Pat to the dance floor. With family and friends in place, they perform their routine. At the end of their routine, everyone's on pins and needles, and they wait for the scores. The scores are announced, and Pat and Tiffany score a five. Tiffany and Pat go nuts. Pat Sr. has won all his money back. Everything's going great. Tiffany and Pat are hugging, and Pat notices Nikki. He breaks the embrace and goes over to Nikki, talks to her, and then hugs her. Tiffany sees this and runs out of the room. Pat whispers something to Nikki and then heads back over towards the other side. Pat runs into his father and he asks where Tiffany is, and his father tells him she left. Again, I won't try and recreate this next scene because the dialogue here that's delivered is is some more of my favorite from the film, but basically it's a father giving his son advice to seize a moment and not screw something up. Pat leaves and sees Tiffany walking down the street. He starts to chase after her. He catches up with her, and she screams at him to leave her alone. Why can't he just leave her alone? She's crying, and he pulls out a letter and gives it to her. And she says, why don't you just give it to her yourself? What's wrong with you? And he said, just read it. After you read it, you don't have to ever see me again. Again, I won't go ahead and bring the contents of the letter up. But he reads it, and it is a letter to Tiffany that he had written a week ago. Cue the happy ending. So there it is. The shortened, abbreviated version of Silver Linings Playbook. I always intend to just kind of skim the surface of of movies, but I end up telling them more in depth than I should. I can't help it with the movies that I really, really like. It just, it's, I want to capture everything about it that just draws me to it. And so it tends to run long and I tend to get over wordy. I don't know why I'm totally drawn to these movies, but I think it has something to do, as I mentioned in an earlier episode, with just being attracted and drawn to characters that are broken. And Pat and Tiffany are two characters that are definitely broken. Doesn't mean that they're not good people. It just means they're dealing with issues. Their issues stem from mental illness and loss. And while we may not all struggle with a mental illness or deal with loss at this very second, at some point we have or we will deal with loss. Those aren't two things that I'm currently dealing with, but I can put in place and see and feel different things that I do deal with, you know, whether it be family things or issues at work. And you, it's the feeling you get when somebody is trying to overcome an obstacle. And you really do start to root for these characters. Um, they both, to some degree, can come off as really unlikable. And it's kind of counterintuitive to what movies want you to do. They really want you to be able to like and identify with characters for the most part. 
or find somebody that you can gravitate to. And it, it takes a little bit to really get or understand these two characters because they're pretty complex and not the most likable people at the beginning of this film. Other things in the movie that I find identifiable are some of the arguments that happen. You know, you argue with people that you care about. You argue with people you don't care about. But the really intense arguments tend to happen with people that you do care about. And my buddy Jake Geringer in the A Star is Born episode mentioned much the same thing. You hurt the ones you love. And there is that going on in this movie, but it does go ahead and give it an opportunity to repair that hurt. And so that's what you root for. That's what I root for when I see these movies is, you know, everybody, especially these days, needs to see something positive and a good story that has a good conclusion and ends with people being happy. Silver Linings Playbook was nominated for eight Academy Awards. Best Film Editing, Best Director, David O. Russell, Best Adapted Screenplay, David O. Russell, Best Supporting Actor, Robert De Niro, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress, Jackie Weaver, Best Actor, Bradley Cooper, and its lone win was for Best Actress, Jennifer Lawrence. You might remember this as being the moment where when Jennifer Lawrence won and headed up on stage, she tripped and just sat on the stairs for a second. Another thing I enjoyed about the movie is the score by Danny Elfman. It's very toned down and simple, but not in a not in a elementary way, just a, a, a nice way that fits the film. Because I, I really think with this movie, at its heart, it's a it's a simple story about complicated people. So again, if you haven't seen the movie even if you listened all the way through the podcast and I spoiled some of it for you, give it a try. Uh, you know, those nights we've all been there when we're like, what do we watch? What can we watch? And we flipped through channels and we went through our streaming services and whatnot. It really is a good, good way to spend a few hours of time if you're looking for a movie and you don't know what to watch. If you're a fan of Bradley Cooper or Jennifer Lawrence or Robert De Niro, you will enjoy this movie. There's no guns involved. It's not a shoot 'em up. It's not an action adventure suspense thriller. It's just a good human story. This is our music segment, Sound You Can Feel. On this episode, we'll be talking Rip This Joint by the Rolling Stones off of the album Exile on Main Street from 1972. As always, I highly encourage you to go ahead and download a legal copy of the song so that you can listen to it either before or after I talk about it and see what you think. I'm not going to go in deep on this song. This song for me, as a fan of the Rolling Stones, which incidentally... In 1989 was the first concert I ever went to. This is just a fun song. It is fast and it really has roots in rockabilly. It really has that sound. Reminds me of something you might hear uh, in the 50s if you went into a, a dance hall with live music and a really wild band. 
if you've listened to any Rolling Stones music and haven't heard this song, I think you'll be surprised with how fast the tempo is and how it really moves. Keith Richards has been quoted as saying, it's one of the fastest ones of the lot and it really keeps you on your toes. I mentioned that Rip This Joint is off the double album Exile on Main Street, which for many, many music uh, connoisseurs is often lauded as one of the best rock albums of all time. It's definitely one of my favorites, and it just has a different type of feel. Some of that could be attributed to the fact that the Stones recorded it at a villa in France that Keith Richards had rented. Uh, All of the Stones were living away from England at the time because they were basically tax exiles, and that's part of where Exile on Main Street came from. They had some bad business deals and ended up getting a huge tax bill and kind of left the UK uh, to avoid it at the time. So they recorded Exile in the basement of this villa in France. I think that has something to do with the sound. It just sounds markedly different from other Stones albums uh, before or since. Without reading the lyrics, a lot of it's hard to understand, but you get the sense that it's taken from the perspective of the band uh, touring uh, across uh, the U.S. At least that's how I take it. But again, I really like this song just because of the feel and the speed. It's one of those songs that, and I think you'll know the type of song I'm talking about, because you ever put on a song and you look down and you're doing 20 over the speed limit? not necessarily in town through your neighborhood, but maybe on the highway and just all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I am better slow down. That's this type of song for me, is it just has a driving beat that you just kind of uh, get lost in it and before you know it, 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 it just screams speed. You know, go faster, that type of thing. As I mentioned, I saw the Stones in 89 and I was just a teenager. I knew the song Satisfaction by the Stones, but it was a... It was a chance to see a legendary band. I remember my parents questioning the amount of the ticket. Face value on that ticket was $49.50. I think that was really the beginning of tickets reaching astronomical prices. I've since seen the Stones 10 other times. I've spent upwards of $279 for a ticket since. You just never know when the last time you're going to see the Stones is, so I pay it. But they're not the only ones. There's a ton of other acts out there that charge what the market allows or will tolerate, to be more specific. Really, though, if you've never listened to the Stones or have listened to the Stones, but only to the tune of what you've heard on the radio, I hi- and if you've enjoyed what you heard on the radio, I highly recommend Exile on Main Street. It is, it's just raw blues rock and... I can listen to that album over and over and over again. I don't really have much else to say on this song other than it's just one I really enjoy. And sometimes we just enjoy the ones, uh, whether it's movies, stories, music that, that don't have a deep meaning, that you don't have to dig in deep to, that you can just love the sound of. And Rip This Joint is definitely one of those for me.
Well, we've come to the end of episode four of This Won't Teach You Anything. I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone who's listened, reviewed, and subscribed to the show. If you think you know somebody who might enjoy the show, tell them about us. It is appreciated. Again, I hope you have a great week, and thank you for tuning in to This Won't Teach You Anything. <laughs>